invite you to take your Bible and turn with me in the Psalter to Psalm uh, 8 as we continue to uh, look at some psalms in our uh, evening worship time together. Psalm 8, we've been journeying a little bit just through the Psalter. I encourage you to have your Bibles open tonight as we uh, work through this passage. Uh, You may remember we started the psalms. Those first uh, two psalms can be seen as really the... Uh, the gateway uh, to the Psalter, to pillars, the Psalm 1 speaks to us about two ways, the way of the righteous uh, and the way of the wicked. Psalm 2 establishes who is the king of the Psalms, that the Lord has established his king on Zion, his holy hill. And we're going to read a lot about that king uh, in the Psalter. Psalms 3 and 4, we find David in great distress. Uh, both Psalms about uh, David fleeing from his son Absalom, no doubt, and Uh, In distress, but finding sleep nonetheless uh, in the God who loves him and gives him peace. Psalm 5, you remember, David talks about beginning with God in the morning. We start with God uh, every day, uh, looking to him, turning to him. In Psalm 6, we read about David moaning and uh, filling his bed with tears uh, and a terribly uh, difficult time. Uh, for David. And the last time we read about David crying out for justice. And uh, this psalm is probably a psalm that's much more familiar to you, uh, Psalm 8, uh, because it's one of those psalms like Psalm 100, Psalm 23, uh, Psalm 103. Uh, there are certain psalms you know that we go to again and again and again. And this is one of them. And so we want to give thought to it tonight. This is the ever living and abiding Word of God, Psalm 8. The Lord. Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet, you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us help, we pray. Uh, to know your majesty even tonight uh, as we consider these words that you've given to us so graciously that we might know you better uh, and that we might love you more. Amen. Well, you see in our uh, bulletin tonight that uh, I've uh, titled our time in this passage of Scripture, what is, what is Man? And indeed, this is what David is really asking here in Psalm 8, that is, uh, how are we to think of ourselves? And uh, one of the ways we think about ourselves, of course, is uh, when we think about our, our greatest achievements. And uh, CNN uh, posed the question to people in seven cities, what is man's greatest achievement? Fire, the wheel, and even cup noodles uh, were among the varied answers to the question posed by CNN, what's man's greatest achievement? CNN producers armed with cameras put the puzzler to passersby in Berlin, Madrid, Rome, Bangkok, Tokyo, New Delhi, and Paris. One woman in Germany suggested the computer. 
Another suggested the airplane. Fire also got a nod. Everything started there, right, said one man in Spain. Uh, The written word was also nominated in Italy, as were architecture, uh, sanitation. Uh, The biggest achievement of mankind, music, uh, said one woman, again, in Spain. In New Delhi, uh, video games got one man's vote. This is what he said. It allows you to be whomever you want in whichever world you want and lets you live in an alternate fantasy life, he said. Really? Wow. Yeah. Greatest. Uh, Another man said peace. Well, hopefully peace, he said, that will be man's greatest achievement. Well, what is man? How are we to think of ourselves? This is David's uh, concern. A couple things tonight for us. What is man? We're going to start with David reflecting on the fact that man is a a humble creature. We're going to go back to verses 1-2 later, but we're going to start with verse 3. Man is a humble creature. When I look at your heaven, says David, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man uh, that you care for him? When I look at your heavens, says David, so that would be a good uh, reason for us to ask ourselves, when you look at the heavens, what do you see? Now, of course, in ancient times uh, and in countries around the world today as well, when some people look at the heavens, they see the sun, of course. Well, we all see the sun, moon, and stars. And some people say, well, when I look at the heavens, I see something to be worshipped. And that's usually what we think about as ancient paganism. You see the sun and moon and stars and you say, I'm going to worship them. Uh, other people look at the heavens and when they look up at the heavens, they see uh, a random association of molecules banging into each other by chance for billions of years. So they see a, they see a science project, maybe, up there. When others look at the heavens, they see a kind of a purposeless, uh, meaningless uh, space. Confirming my purposeless, meaningless existence. When some look at the heavens, they see nothing. Uh, what does David see? Uh, how many stars could David actually see in the sky? Well, maybe a hundred. Well, probably hundreds. He'd see the same as we do. Of course, he had the, just the naked eye. Maybe, maybe thousands if he was really careful. What if he had a telescope? Uh, Someone has said that if the Milky Way galaxy, which we're in, were the size of the, try to follow this, if the Milky Way galaxy were the size of the entire continent of North America, our solar system uh, would fit uh, in a cup of coffee. Okay, so the Milky Way is the continent. Our solar system would fit in a cup of coffee. There, uh, And the Milky Way, the continent, apparently, is one of perhaps a hundred billion such galaxies in the universe. Okay? So, Milky Way, continent, cup of coffee is our solar system, and there's, a, there's, a, there's billions of these continents. When David looks up, the Bible says, when I look at, at your heavens... David has no confusion uh, that uh, God is the creator. And that's as Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above uh, proclaims his 
uh, handiwork. I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, uh, moon and stars, he says, which you have set uh, in place. In other words, when uh, David looks up, he's convinced um, of things like this that Hebrews 11 talks about. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are that are visible. That is, when David looks up, he sees uh, what God has created out of nothing. In Latin, there's that wonderful saying, creatio ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. God spoke it into existence. As we confessed earlier tonight, we know that we are image bearers of God, and in a certain sense, as creatures, we are creators, and we can be very creative people. Um, But what sets God apart, the Bible says, as the creator is this, that he spoke all things into existence and they came to be. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. We use wood and plastic and computers, uh, but God speaks and it comes to be. And that's what David sees when he looks up. When you look up, you're meant to see the power and the majesty and the holiness uh, and the set-apartness. That's what holiness means, the set-apartness of God. Now, Job, of course, needed needed some help to understand just how great and glorious and set apart. Uh, God was, but so do we. And so in Job 38, uh, the Lord asked Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together? And all the sons of God shouted for joy. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Where's the way to the dwelling of light? Where's the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I've reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and and war? Can you bind the chains of the pliads or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Mazaroth in their season? Can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Of course, the answer the Lord is looking for is no, I can't. But God can, and he does. David is speaking here, of course, in in wonder and joy when he looks up. That's why if you don't already, you need to subscribe to some kind of magazine like Answers in Genesis or... Creation Ministries International, because you don't ever want to lose uh, your wonder when you look at the creation of God. And this, of course, is what the teaching of evolution is meant to do in our public schools and elsewhere. uh, Rob God of his majesty and his glory. Charles Darwin, in his uh, autobiography, talks about how he, uh, you know, he used to believe that, that there was design in the universe and that things you know, kind of uh, gave evidence of, of, of a God out there. Uh, but then he said, um, since that time, that it has very gradually, with many fluctuations, he said, this conviction of a designer become weaker. 
you know, in his thinking. Why? Uh, well, because um, uh, then arises the doubt, he said, can the mind of man, which has, as I fully believe, been developed from a mind as low as that possessed by the lowest animal, be trusted when it draws such grand conclusions? So he came to the conclusion that if you come from the, the lowest animal, how can you trust your mind when you think you see... Uh, the glory of God in creation. Of course, someone could ask Darwin, well, how can you believe your theory of evolution that came from a, a mind that developed from the, the mind of an animal? But he didn't ask that, that question. But that's what that does. It robs God of his glory. But when David the believer looks at the Lord's heavens, what's his response? Well, he knows he was created to be uh, a humble man. Verse 4. After he has... Seeing the glory of God in his creation, that he is certain God has spoken into existence, set into position. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Or could be translated, what is, what is mere man? That is, what is vulnerable man? Uh, what is feeble man? Son of man, son of Adam, son of Adam. Uh, in Hebrew, as you know, there's always this wonderful poetry in the Psalms called Hebrew parallelism. You've got a one line, then the second line kind of echoes the same thought, but it takes it a little bit, a little bit deeper. What is my, man that you're mindful of him? What is it that you pay attention to man? What is it that you remember man? Uh, and the son of man that you, you care for him. So David is absolutely flabbergasted that uh, uh, the God who, uh, the evidence of his greatness is all around us. That he would pay attention, have any thought uh, whatsoever, and not only have a thought for, but actually care for us. At all. In his creation. Have you ever uh, asked this question? Why, why, Lord, do you care about me in this vast Universe, Lord, in the light of your glory and majesty and power and might, do you even know I exist? How could that be? But even if you do know I exist, how could you possibly care about a tiny, insignificant, and sinful creature like me in this vast universe? Oh, and yet the Bible says, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It's true. Man, though, David knows, is to be a humble creature for that very fact. Humility is defined this way, a modest opinion of one's own importance or rank. So you need to ask yourself tonight, what facts about you should cause humility in your life in the light of the glory uh, of God, the Creator? And... Uh, David's What is Man, of course, is not an academic or a philosophical excursus. Uh, it's a deep-down wonder and amazement at God's grace. Who am I that the Lord should care for me? Now, notice David doesn't doubt that he does care. He does. He's just, he just can't believe it's so. So that makes him a humble creature. What is man? He's also a, a dignified creature. Notice what David says, verse 5. Yet, uh, you have made him uh, a little lower than the angels, than the heavenly beings. Or, you'll see a little uh, script there, perhaps in your translation. Um, 
It's the word for God. It's actually Elohim. Translated, a little lower than the heavenly beings, a little lower than the angels, a little lower than God. And crowned him, verse 5, with glory. This is man now. With glory and honor, you've given him dominion over the works of your hands. you put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. You'll recognize there right away that uh, David here is alluding to the, uh, the Genesis account uh, that we find in Genesis chapter 1. Well, that's exactly what God says to man, that he is given uh, dominion over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea uh, and the beasts. Of the land. But notice this yet, it's very important, the yet of verse 5. Humble creature, in the light of the, the glory of the Creator, who are we that He should care for us? Uh, but yet, verse 5, our humble insignificance in the vast cosmos is not the whole story. Uh, this is how, uh, for instance, Bildad the Shuhite uh, got it wrong in his, uh, in his biblical counseling uh, of, of Job, uh, who was suffering. Remember Bildad, who said to Job in his suffering, Behold, even the moon is not bright, the stars are not pure in his eyes, how much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm. And so remember Job is struggling in all his suffering. And so Bildad, you know, the friend comes along and tries to give some counsel and, uh, and reminds Job of just how much of a worm he really is. Well, yeah, we're, we're humble creatures, but that's not the whole story. Uh, Bildad, you are a humble creature. We are humble creatures. But to a suffering Job who's lost it all and at times despairs of life as if he was nothing, another word is needed. What is man? God made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor, and you've given him dominion over the works of your hands. And you put all things uh, under his feet. Man is a dignified Creature, little lower than the heavenly beings, were created, we find all over the scripture, in the image of God. We're not God, we're not little gods, but we're created in the image of God. This passage says we are crowned, that's an imagery of kingship and rule, with glory. It's the same word that is used of the Lord himself. Uh, in verse 1, and honor with dominion. That means authority over the works of your hands. That means of, over what God has created. All things uh, under the feet of man, not to be trampled, uh, but to be cared for, used for the purpose of God's glory. Dominion uh, over uh, the creatures of the land, air, and sea. Whatever our biological makeup uh, may have in common with the beasts of the field. And there is some, you know, they do DNA testing. You know, there's certain DNA, I guess, that's shared between man and animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter how much a man's face uh, might look like a fish. Uh, uh, you know, President Lincoln was called uh, by his friends uh, that gorilla, you know, because of his arms. Um, no matter how much a, a ballerina's movements might remind you of the, you know, the birds of the sky. Uh, the Bible says there's a great chasm, a great gulf exists uh, between uh, man created in the image of God and all the other beasts of the field, all the works of God's hand. It will always exist between the animal kingdom 
and you, because you've been created in the image of God and been crowned with glory and honor to have dominion over the works of his hands. Uh, James uh, Boyce, uh, in his reflecting on this passage, had some wonderful things to say. He reminded us that the Bible tells us that you and I have been made a, a little lower than the heavenly beings. And isn't it interesting, the Bible does not say uh, that you and I have been made a little, a, 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 little, um, a little higher than the beasts. It says a little lower than the heavenly beings, not a, not a little higher than the beasts. Boy says this, but here's the sad thing. Although made in God's image and ordained to become increasingly like the God to whom they look, men and women have turned their backs on God, certainly in our nation. And since they will not, right, since they will not look upward to God, which is their privilege and duty, they actually look downward to the beasts and so become increasingly like them. You say, well, mm-hmm. I mean, a couple of years ago, we were talking about this at man camp on Friday night. I remember a couple of years ago, when we were in California seeing a clip on the news. Maybe you saw it too. About, it was a video clip of, uh, of a, I think it was like 80, 85-year-old lady at an ATM, getting money out of the ATM. And, uh, and as she's getting her money, right as she's getting her money, a couple of, couple of thugs uh, beat, her, beat her up, leave her on the ground. And... Uh, and of course, though, instead of um, uh, instead of protecting someone being beaten up, we uh, record it and we post it and we share it on uh, social media, right? Yeah, this is true. Uh, of course, in the Bible, the greatest picture of that and what this really means is Nebuchadnezzar. Remember Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel? He takes all this glory to himself, right? And he says, uh, you know, look at this. Oh, this is our natural sin. He takes all this glory to himself, doesn't give glory to God. And the Bible says that in order for God to help him understand that this is not true and that he needed to look to God and God was supposed to be his glory, he literally grew long fingernails, hair grew long, went out in the field and ate grass like the beast. And so that's the, the picture of when we reject God. That's not who we are. Not who we're meant to be. Uh, we are meant uh, to reflect something of the living God in His image and knowledge and righteousness and holiness uh, and to have dominion, that is, to rule, to have authority, uh, to be good stewards of all that He has made. That's who we are. And friends, how we need to know and believe and proclaim this truth today. We are created with dignity. Dignity. Male, female, created by God. No mistakes. No men in women's bodies. No women in men's bodies. Men, women. Yes, broken and needy. Uh huh. Humbled to be sure. Crowned, the Bible says, with glory and honor. And that's the thing. Every life, every age, every color, every shape. And we praise God for that, for that truth. A glorious calling. Of course, this dominion, the Bible says, that Adam and Eve were given, crowned with glory and honor, didn't last long before, before our call to faithfully reflect uh, God's rule over His creation uh, to bring Him glory was, was shattered at the fall. But the Bible says... 
that this glorious, uh, this glorious having dominion over all the earth uh, and, and bringing glory to God uh, is fulfilled. It's not fulfilled in us because we are sinners. It wasn't fulfilled in Old Testament Israel who continued to uh, rebel uh, against the Lord. But it certainly will be, the Bible says, and is fulfilled uh, in the coming of the, the second Adam, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians 15, which says this, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, speaking of Jesus, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That's what Psalm 8 talking about. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Wonderful thing the Bible says is that if you're in Christ tonight, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians says, uh, though we were dead in transgressions and sins, Ephesians 2 4 says, but God, who is rich in mercy, uh, made us alive in Christ and seated us with Him. We are seated with Christ, the one under whom all things uh, are put under His feet. And we again regain that dignity. Uh, as we were created with in His image. Renewed, restored, seated with the Savior. So, humble creature, a dignified creature, but actually the most important thing about this passage, about what is man, not only that we are humbled, not only that we are dignified, but clearly uh, man is created to be a worshipping creature. And this is where the psalm begins. Uh, this is where the psalm ends, uh, with that whole uh, thought of what is man in between. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens and out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still or quiet the enemy and the avenger. And then David ends the psalm. O Lord, our Lord, verse 9. How majestic is your name uh, in all the earth, writes Derek Kidner, Bible commentator, this psalm is an unsurpassed example of what a hymn should be. Celebrating, as it does, the glory and grace of God, rehearsing who He is and what He's done, and relating us and our world to Him in a spirit of mingled joy and awe. It actually starts this way. O Jehovah, O Yahweh, O Covenant God, our Adonai, our Sovereign, our Lord. O Yahweh, our Adonai. Yahweh, our Sovereign. Because though this psalm has much to say about man, of course, at the end of the day, it has much more to say uh, about God. How majestic is your name. The word majestic could be translated magnificent. It means combining this idea of dignity and nobility with magnificence and power and, and splendor. How majestic is your name? That is your, the revelation of who you are. How, how glorious is that? The revelation of who our covenant God, our sovereign God, is uh, in all the earth. This revelation that has come uh, to us, how glorious 
says David. Man for David. Must, it's sandwiched in there, right? What is man? It's sandwiched in between this beginning and ending on reflecting on the glory of the Lord. Man must be seen in the context of the Lord and his majesty with which this psalm begins and ends. Otherwise, when you think about who you are, you're going to fall into one of three things. Either you'll fall into idolatry, and you'll think man is much more than he is. No, he's a humble creature. You'll fall into uh, destruction. You'll think, I'm worth nothing. Say, no, God has created you in his image. Or you'll fall into, into absolute confusion. You don't know where to turn, who you are, what you should be, or uh, how you should find, whatever, whatever. Why? Because uh, you've rejected God at all. And you're trying to come up with an understanding of who you are apart from the one who's given you life. So you have to, we of all people as believers have to see who we are in the light of the glory of God. In fact, friends, David's purpose here really, isn't it? To incite us to praise and join him in reveling in the majesty of God. And uh, this is why I'm reformed. And find myself in the Reformed heritage. Because we'll never understand who we are unless we see ourselves in the light of our Creator. You know who I learned that from? John Calvin. Who said this. Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts. Think of this as true for you. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. But while joined by many bonds, says Calvin, which one precedes? And brings forth the other is not easy to discern. You know, where do you start? In the first place, says Calvin, no one can look upon himself, as David's doing, without immediately turning his thoughts to the contemplation of God, in whom he lives and moves. For quite clearly, he says, the mighty gifts with which we are endowed are hardly from ourselves. Indeed, our very being is nothing but subsistence in the one God. We don't live without Him. Then, by these benefits shed like dew from heaven upon us, we're led by rivulets to the spring itself. Indeed, our very poverty better discloses the infinitude of benefits reposing in God. The miserable ruin into which the rebellion of the first man cast us especially compels us to look, to look, right, upward. Then he says this, Thus, from the feeling of our own ignorance, vanity, poverty, infirmity, and what's more, depravity and corruption, we recognize that the true light of wisdom, sound virtue, full abundance of every good and purity of righteousness rests in the Lord alone. Oh, how we, uh, you know, isn't this what we want for ourselves, this kind of conviction? Uh, for each other, for our friends, for our neighbors, for our family, uh, for our children, that the abundance of blessing rests in the Lord alone. How majestic is his name uh, in all the earth. For David, he saw himself truly only in the light of the majesty and the glory of God. His glory, he says, is above the heavens. Remember when the temple is dedicated by by Solomon, Solomon says, Lord, as he prays to the Lord, Lord, we know, you're, you know your glory is too great to dwell upon the earth. Unless we think that somehow your glory could be contained in this temple. You are uh, far above. Far above. Which simply means creation expresses the glory of God, but it does not 
exhausted. We can never praise him adequately. And so that's, that's why when Alex chose to sing the hymn, uh, Oh God, beyond, right? Beyond all praising. As glorious as our singing is, as glorious as our praise may be in the gathered worship of God's people, it will never be. It will never be what it should be and what it will be because He is and His glory is above the heavens. You see, this is what, friends, we need to see when we consider who we are. Now, of course, the Bible tells us, the wonderful thing about this passage, well, in with this, is simply this, uh, that this passage, of course, wonderfully uh, appears. Well, it appears several times in the New Testament, uh, but it appears most wonderfully in Hebrews chapter 2, where it says this, For it was not the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking it's been testified somewhere, says the author to the Hebrews. It's been testified somewhere. That was so neat. What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. That's us. You've crowned him with glory and honor. That's us. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. That's us. Created in the image of God. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. And then the author of the Hebrews says this, at present... We do not yet see everything in subjection to him that is man in the image of God. But, says the author of the Hebrews, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death. For everyone, for it was fitting that he, that's Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. See, none of us, uh, none of us fulfill what we're called to in Psalm 8. But the Bible says, in Jesus, who God has sent uh, to taste death, uh, experience the suffering of death, so that by that suffering for death, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Uh, it is through him who also was made lower than the angels, who's been crowned with glory and honor, that you and I uh, might find our, our rightful meaning and purpose in life only through this Jesus. For it was fitting, the Bible says, that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Don't ever miss that. The Bible says that you exist by and for Jesus Christ. You exist uh, for his glory. And that's why David, when he thinks about who he is, begins and ends uh, in wonder and awe of how majestic is the name of the Lord uh, whose glory has been revealed uh, in all the earth. And that helps him, you see, understand who he is and what he was meant to be. A humble creature 
dignified creature, but most of all, friends, a worshiping creature of such a glorious God. May that be who we are as well. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the testimony of the Scripture that we need not fumble around in confusion as to who you've made us to be. We thank you for this psalm. Lord, we pray that we would join with David in adoration and awe. Lord, it's so hard for us. There's so much sin that clings to us. Lord, we elevate ourselves in our own thoughts and think that somehow we deserve your care and we deserve your attention. And so, Lord, then help us to look up at the heavens, uh, Lord, and to see your glory and your greatness and to be amazed again with the psalmist uh, that you would care for us. And then, Lord, help us to see that you have made us in your image, that we are dignified creatures, that you love us and care for us. And through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is that man under whom all things are placed under his feet, Lord, you call us again to be renewed and restored in that image that we would again reflect your glory in this world that you've placed us. And then, O oh Lord, may we be found also with David, surrounding our whole life and who we are in praise of your great and glorious name. O oh Lord, we need your help to see it so that when we look up, we would only see the greatness the glory of God and the grace of our God in giving us a Savior uh, who restores us to who we were created to be. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.